Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveller who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Welcome to another episode of Melting Pot, a series of conversations with guests who inspire and who are change makers. My guest today is CEO and founder of DFW Creative, which is a boutique marketing agency for the world's best brands in the lifestyle industry. This is something that I picked up from the website. (laughs) Also, it's an agency that has won several awards and founder and CEO is Karina Wijaya. Karina is an entrepreneur with a very creative mind. And in my opinion, that is an absolute winning combination. (laughs) So thank you, Karina, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Payal, for inviting me. I am also, I need to add here for all my listeners who obviously can't see Karina, <laughs> is that she's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so, Karina, tell my listeners and me about you. Are you originally from Singapore? A little bit about your background. And then, of course, you know, I want to hear how DF. W Creative came about and what is it that you do? What is your vision? You know, I mean, a lot about your journey. Sure, sure. Well, I'm Indonesian, not Singaporean, but I feel like I'm Singaporean because I have been here since 2004. So that makes it about 16 years in Singapore. Literally, almost half of my life, right? So I'm 36 this year, I just turned 36. And I'm very proud to be in a way understanding both market, Indonesia and Singapore. I grew up there until about high school. And uh, I have always wanted to study abroad. But my parents, obviously, because I'm Indonesian, and I'm female, and they were a very traditional family, they were a little bit afraid to send the daughters overseas 
Um, so I had a bit of challenge to convince my dad I want to study overseas. My first destination was actually Australia. Mm-hmm. But my sis, who, who is one year older, she was sent to Australia, but she was homesick so much that she has to come back to Indonesia. And that makes my dad even more afraid to send the second daughter right. overseas. Right. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I really, I'm a bit more, you know, uh, I, I like challenges and I like to experience something new in a new location. You know, I like to explore. And obviously my, did, my dad didn't care about that. He was just like, nope, because your sis didn't go through and she came back, not for you. So, so he was being very protective. He was super protective. I mean, obviously being Indonesian and at that point of time, Chinese was a little bit more, a lot more protected by the Chinese family being in Indonesia. So everything else, especially my dad has a little bit more traditional mindset. So he was against all of that until I make to... I didn't realize, actually, back then, now that I looked at it, I actually did a proposal to my dad (laughs) to send me overseas. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, I was actually doing a research, you know, Australia, which school and so on. uh, But looking at my dad so firm, so firmly reject Australia because it's too far. I thought, oh, my, the only closest area for me is Singapore or Malaysia. But I erased Malaysia because Singapore, I have relatives and my aunt is here. So I thought, okay, that is my last chance to study overseas. So I came, I, I came to Singapore a lot of times uh, as any other Indonesians. My aunt is here, so my, I always accompany my grandma to come here. So I'm very familiar with the place. And I'm a little bit more on the artistic side, so I always aim for La Salle, as my the go-to university. So I went there, I take all of the documents and everything, but I also searched the other school, like NAFA and Raffles Design, just to compare, but my go-to school was LaSalle. I bring to my dad, calculate everything, this is my school fee, I've calculated the bus, uh, to and fro <laughs> for 30 days, and then there's a bit of spare money for me to go watch movie. <laughs> Seriously, I was calculating my meals plus water and all of these things just so that I know this is the exact amount that I need and I will not ask a single cent more from you. That's it. You know, I planned it for three years. So this is my three years plan. No, four years because it was last hour. So my dad saw how keen I was and he was like, oh, okay, no choice. I have to let you try. But I have one condition and that was like the impossible condition that he gave me. You must bring your close friend to go with you in case you're homesick you have no way to say i want to come back so i'm like but that that's like impossible task right so i guess it was just like fated thing when i share with my girlfriends my close girlfriends anyone want to study with me to singapore everyone said no because everyone going to either australia or usa right (laughs) until one of my friends last minute get rejected from the usa visa and i'm like you are fated to go with me. Like, seriously, <laughs> you got to go with me. So I, I convinced her to go with me, but she has one condition. I, she only wants to study at Raffles Design because it was one year shorter. Oh, if it, so Raffles Design is three years. Three years. And LaSalle is four. Four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But of course, the school fee was like four times, three times or four times higher. So I'm like, oh my God, I need to recalculate my proposal <laughs> to my dad. <laughs> So I managed to convince him to, to, to send me here, obviously, but I told him that, look, on the third year, I promise you I'm going to work my best to make sure that 
yes, it's much more expensive, but I start work earlier, which I graduated uh, two and a half years, not three years, two and a half years. Uh-huh. And I start my internship in my second year with the Gate Worldwide uh, advertising agencies from the UK. And ever since then, you know, the client was kind of like following me. I get a lot more freelance job and so on. So I was kind of like sustainable on my own, even during my diploma time. And it just kind of like follow along the way. So I didn't, I didn't think of registering a company or it was like easy breezy for me. I didn't also think of, you know, I want to earn so much more or whatsoever. It was, it was just like study and part-time kind of thing. And it was convenient because I meet the client. I understand all of the graphic needs because I am graphic graduates. But as I have more clients, if I couldn't handle the workload, I pass on to some of my friends who is in graphic design as well, but in Indonesia, because I thought the cost is cheaper. I can mark up certain things and, you know, I can earn so much more. That was just like a student freelance kind of mindset. Until to a certain point, I'm like, okay, it gets a bit boring because um, as freelance, you work on your own. Yeah. Right. So I get married. I I have a kid. So I have a one-year break from my work. And then when I want to go back to work, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do freelance again. I think I should join a company. So I work with Dick Lee Chosenko. And I thought it's fun because it's a bit more different rather than just graphic. They have events as well. But in between, I work with the event uh, staging company. And they want three years concurrently the best event agency in Singapore. We did Nokia launch uh, with the first dome tent which is pretty cool at Padang that was 2008 I still remember we did NTUC event so it was actually a pretty huge project even for me as a project managers and freelancers and then I vacuumed because I have my son for one year I took care of him and then when I come back I joined Dikli Chosenko as a graphic designer also so I learned a lot from my seniors about you know the whole thought process again same thing clients actually came to me after I left the company so I was actually dropping a text to the team that, look, actually this client came to me directly. What should I do? Like, you know, they won't come back to you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that if I take this, I don't want to be illegally doing it behind your back. Yeah. So are you okay if I give you 20%? You know, so they, <laughs> so they you had that streak, you know, of figuring yourself out from a very young age. <laughs> yeah, I believe I just don't, I, I, I believe what comes around go, goes, yeah, yeah, goes, what around. goes around. So I don't yeah. want people to do bad things to me as yeah, well. So yeah. I just want to respect that kind of simple rules. It's easy and to And at break. the same time, you didn't want to say no to, exactly. to the client. And yeah. it's a women's yeah. situation. I yeah. know that I lose 20%, but it's not exactly lose. It's just like building the trust yeah. amongst everyone. And I did pay them 20% out of the work that I did. But the client was their client. So I was thinking, yeah, it's actually, it's okay. You know, it's just fair game for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that client was actually my quite a long client. It was actually River Island. Ah, okay. Yeah, all of the yeah. booklet was done by me. Ah. All of the uh, the sample booklet, the styling booklet and everything. It was pretty cool. Uh, the creative director was so amazing, giving me a very clear direction of what he wants. So I just play around creatively with it. So I loved it. I loved that project. And, and how many years were you with them? Uh, they were my client for consecutive three, four years until the creative director left the company. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So he stick by me. Like, oh. he loved my work. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was taking it easy until I joined, I mean, when I was with 
quickly. I met my ex-business partner there. Uh, he's a very creative person, but I'm more towards the business mind of it. Like, there is a creative process, yes, but how do you monetize that? You know, I'm more towards that part of it. So he came up with the idea of Digital Fashion Week because he was inspired by Burberry first world first live streaming fashion show so he saw it and he thought why not we were discussing and then why don't we use it for a bigger purpose and I'm like yeah I actually kind of like that idea you know so to me it was like a test project we use it for the fashion week concept not only a fashion show and we use it for the upcoming fashion designers not an established one so it was it was perfect because a lot of designers at that point of time, 2011, was closing their business literally because there is no demand and the market is very small. H&M and Zara opened in 2011, December, if I'm not wrong. So you were focusing on the designers within the region or global? It was started, I mean, we were we were starting very small with okay. Singapore because Singapore. that's where we are. So just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't even think of supporting the designers internationally. It was just came as we grow along. Okay. But um, the first step was actually Singapore designers. We felt, oh my gosh, you know, the um, support by the government in Millennial Walk was closing. The crowd was pretty bad. There's no crowd actually. So the designers was basically, we have several designer friends that I came to know about and they were like complaining about the businesses, doesn't go well and this and that. So we thought uh, we know a couple of clients, a couple of people, brands that I work with, that my ex-panel work with. We can put up some concept and make it into a awesome marketing platform for independent designers and neglected um, businesses that a lot of people don't really care about, you know, they don't understand. Uh, now a lot of people pick it up, but in the past, 2012, it was still no one cares. Yeah. yeah, no yeah. one cares. So it was the moment where they opened uh, H&M next to Cine Leisure, and one of our designer friend has a store there at Cine Leisure, he was doing all right. He invested about $2 million to his business. And I think Cine Leisure has a lot of um, a lot of young yeah. brands and a lot of fun brands, right? Yeah, yeah. And so most of them are local. No, in fact, okay. only one of them are local there. And okay. the others was at Millennia Walk, which totally no crowd. Hmm. And the rest is scattered everywhere. There's no one housing place for right, them. Right, right. And the thing is, it's not only having a store. It's having How the marketing. How do you market yourself? Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what we positioned ourselves as a marketing agency. I mean, initially we were PR agency and event agency. So we thought... We can help them out, you know. We can put up some proposal, put up some idea, which we did. So we called ourselves Digital Fashion Week. We meet so up. So that's what DFW stands for? In the beginning, yes. Ah, okay. In the beginning, okay. we started off as Digital Fashion Week with the core idea of supporting independent designers yeah, yeah. with the marketing platform that we created for them. Right. So we brought this, we put up a simple proposal because of my graphic background, I'm able to put up like a pretty cool proposal. Um, and also his, my ex-partner creative process, I'm putting it into a business model, right? which is sponsorship coming uh, on board, sponsorship proposal and all this. We meet up with YouTube and Google as our first, it was like 
a deal breaker. If they said yes, we go forward. If not, we forget about this. Let's just do an event agency. <laughs> so we met up with them. The country director, I can't remember the name. I was such a cool bald head guy, <laughs> and he saw a proposal. But he's cool, you know. He, he was like this American guy. He saw a proposal within five minutes. I love what you guys did. Go forward. We we'll support you hundred percent. So we we're like, oh my god, unexpected, but unexpected. wow, this <laughs> yeah. is it. You yeah, know? this yeah. is a, this is like the unicorn idea. Yeah, know, at that point yeah. of time. So we were we go crazy. We go all out, but we knock on literally hundreds of doors present until I felt so dry because in a day I can meet six, seven potential sponsors. Out of eight, you got rejected eight. Like seriously, you are nobody. Who are you? What is this crazy idea about? How am I going to know this event going to be successful? The Despite the fact that you had YouTube uh, backing you. Yeah. Despite that. Yeah. Hmm. Because it's the new idea. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's not cheap to organize such idea. You need at least it's a it's a good six figures event to start with, even though it's small, but it's a nobody's event. Like, right? Who yeah. are you? Yeah. <laughs> who are you, kids? You know, yeah. Yeah. at that point of time. But we managed to convince. Uh, I need to thank Maybank for that. It was our main sponsor, so they believe in it. They super excited. Uh, it was great because they used Digital Patrick as a point to make them cool. You know, because mm. Maybank, they, they need to reach out to the younger audience, more fashionable audience. And we managed to convince to bring in Kuopay, which is one of our star designer, uh, and mix them with the local uh, independent designers that in the eyes of the international market, they are, they are unknown, right? So we have this, I would say, formula. We mix the famous, only one pretty known brand. We also don't want to be like, too famous because yeah. it will overkill on the yeah. PR side. Yeah. Yeah. And we use a little bit more famous brands. So it's enough to pick interest from the media, which is then equivalent to awareness, equivalent to marketing for yeah. designers. And we invited uh, Patricia Field, which is Sex and the City uh, stylist, uh, stylist um, and also the winner of American Next Top Model. We invited one of the most famous androgynous model. So the fashion media goes crazy about such international content, which was also a surprise for us. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Pio, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. Besides it was branded as the world's first live streaming fashion week, we have all of these international names come to Singapore to support Singapore designers. That was what's so amazing. That was about the USP. It. That yeah. was the USP. Yeah. yeah. Because the Singapore designers at that point of time, no one wanted to support them in a way. We have a platform that was embracing international brands compared to the local brands. So we were like the underdog, you know, like who is this smaller players, you know, inviting not big names, but okay, it's pretty interesting. There's mm. American Extra Models and so on. Media goes crazy about it. We have Volvo as our sponsor as well, Coke. So brands starting to take a look at this platform as the platform for reaching out to the fashion people, to the younger audience, but making it a little bit more hip. Second year, we've got British Council as one of the main sponsors. We've got Naomi Campbell on the second year, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
we've got international media came on board NBC, CNBC, and a lot more NHK and all of this. We generate 400 million outreach for the show for the platform, right? Which equivalent to re- to, to basically share this outreach. For the designers, right? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, precisely, that is and huge. Naomi yeah. Campbell was working for the local designer, you know. So that was what makes it so exciting because no one embraced the local designers as as we did. You know, we put so much effort for them, and obviously we, it was paid off because sponsors is also paying yeah. us in yeah. a way. Yeah, but the more sponsors that we get, we invested back to the platform. 2013, uh, we've got Naomi Campbell. That was the second year. Third year, we expand our IP to Thailand. So we have Siam Piwat uh, Group bought over our IP to organize Digital Fashion Week in Thailand, Bangkok, for the next four years. And then 2017, we have our IP in Indonesia. So the platform grows in a way that uh, the first year when we support all Singaporean. Second year, we have Naomi and the same thing, American Extra Model winner and all this. With Singapore designers, but we house 35 Singapore designers in that event, which everyone was like, what? We have 35 designers? I don't even know that Singapore mm. have such uh, a lot of designers at that point of time. 2014, we start to have designers from Thailand, from Indonesia, from Korea, from Japan. It becomes a regional showcase wherever we bring Digital Fashion Week around. So, but since the first year of Digital Fashion Week, at the back end, the other team that is not only Fashion Week, we serve our sponsors as our marketing clients because we need to execute our promises on the marketing front to utilize Digital Fashion Week as their marketing platform. Mm, right. So in a way, we have two teams. We have the Fashion Week team, we have the marketing team. So we grow the marketing team, but it was too heavy on the Fashion Week. We have 25 people at once, and it was so difficult to execute because it's such a big event, and we need to balance out our expenses as well. So, of course, we, we did hit rock bottom where it was too much expenses, lesser on the sponsorship coming in, and we still have the marketing team that we need to uh, maintain. because yeah, to support, maintain. Yeah, yeah, in the end of yeah. the day, the marketing yeah. team is the bread and butter because yeah. the Fashion Week is a once-a-year yeah. event. Yeah. yeah, But it took up so much energy for the team. So... In 2016, that was our last event for Digital Fashion Week Singapore. Thailand still continued because it was uh, it was paid for. It's an IP event. Indonesia. But then, so Thailand and Indonesia only had uh, their local designers, is it? No. What's interesting about it is we promised them if you take our brand, we are able to open up the channel for the international designers to showcase there. Right. Right. So it's it's cool for them because oh I have straight away international content yeah for yeah. me to showcase and I bring in my in my local designers so it's a it's a place to showcase their Thai designers but we fuse in international brands as well so it's a win win for them precisely yeah. they yeah. need international brands in a way not too famous again same yeah. formula I tell them we don't want to reach out the Two famous brands. Because then the local brands get sort of diluted. diluted. Precisely. Yeah. Makes because sense. Yeah. in the end of the day, it is a platform marketing 
for the independent designers where we need the media to pick up the story and write more about the independent designers rather than just keep on focusing on the one and that's it, the rest was like diluted and so on. So we implement a lot of the testing point that we did for Digital Fashion Week. We did the first, we were actually the first in Singapore or rather in Asia, I would say, who tapped on the power of influencers back then in 2013. We invited 25 influencers from around the world to come and attend our event in 2013 when everyone was shaming influencers. What are they, like a fake media and yeah, all this? Yeah. No, they're not. They're just an additional value of marketing that which designers will need. Yeah. So yeah. we don't really care whether they're media or whatever as long as they And YouTube help was continuing to, you know, support yeah. you the yeah, whole, every, whole way? Yeah. Wow. They yeah. were very supportive. They launched... Um, we actually, in 2012, we invested in the See Now, Buy Now concept. It was way too early. I learned from that. We, we invested quite a lot. So what was the See Now, Buy Now concept? Meaning when the model walked out, oh, not okay. only Got it. it's live yeah. streaming, yeah. as they walked out, you can purchase immediately the clothes that you buy. But at that point of time, it was not purchased Still immediately. Early. Pre-order. Okay. It was right. pre-order because none of the designers ready to have that concept, what usually my design is you see now, you order now, yeah. I will deliver to your door in six months. We try to break that look. Trust us, it's not going to be this way. You've got to be faster in producing. Or you launch certain, you have 24 looks, you launch only three. The other 16 or 20 whatever number that you have sold out or coming up soon. But three, they, have, they can taste to wear it right now. This is going to be the trend, and we, we advise a lot of designers that way. And it, it's true enough, it becomes like that now. They don't wait. They don't want to wait. They want to see, and they buy now. So you got to catch up with the time. The first designer... So you were ahead of your time. Because we put With the concept, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. Didn't, we didn't think of it as we are like the mover or whatever. We put ourselves as the customers. Because, again, we are not a fashion guru, I don't have any fashion background, but I am a realistic customer. That's right, it. Right. I'm putting myself as... And you're a facilitator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we told them, look, I think, and I really believe, and also based on the event that we did the first year, every customer is asking, where can I buy that? That night, after they saw your collection, they don't want to wait for six months because fashion buyers or fashion customers are impulsive customers they see they like it they buy it no matter what's the amount but if they see they buy only six months later it's another season by the moment then. they so, step out yeah. from this room yeah they will buy other yeah. accessories and also if it's something that comes to you six months later it's no longer fashionable it's you know you've already moved on to another season by then right yeah, precisely, so yeah precisely. yeah so yeah. there's a lot of that practices from this marketing platform that we built, we put that thinking process for our marketing clients. So it becomes much more makes sense that, oh yeah, I understand why you're going there. I understand that it's not just a testing ground. It's literally you're putting yourself as the end consumer. Then you come up with this marketing strategy. So it has been that way ever since. And till now, our DFW Creative, the marketing agency, we picked the name DFW, because everyone calls us DFW, DFW, DFW. 
So we thought, you know what? There's no point in promoting a new name. New name means new marketing budget. Yeah. So we thought, you know what? Let's just go forward with DFW, but yeah. creative agency. Yeah. Therefore, the marketing because agency I think DFW obviously identifies with you, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you if you had to change the name, then you have to rework Re-promote. your profiling and yeah, makes Precisely. sense. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though a lot of people get confused, is that the fashion week? Does that mean that your client is only fashion? Yes, it's another step to explain, but. The first step, the hardest, always for any agency, is for them to reach out, drop you an email. Right. We don't have that problem. They drop us an email, and then they get confused, and we explain. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Regardless, they drop us an email first. Right. You know? So, right. um, yeah, so far, it has been working like that for us. At certain point, we reach out about 25 people in Singapore, but we felt it's too heavy, and we still want to give full... Uh, attention to all of our clients and we hit rock bottom back then 2016 and then we reduced manpower in Singapore we invested to an expansion in Indonesia and it was the best decision ever because our operation um, gets lower and Singapore we maintain the directors and managers level so it's your headquarters yes yeah. but yeah. Indonesia we support on like graphic design video yeah. edit social yeah. media management and all this and there's um, a lot of young talent, super right? Creative, super so creative. when you say Indonesia, you mean Jakarta? Yes. Yeah. That's and that's where, where you're from? Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And because yeah. creative agency has ever since, there are a lot more coming up. Yeah. You know, there are a lot more competitors in a sense by doing this business staging, splitting it into the Indonesian team and all this. Able, we are able to give a much more competitive rate. With still, our directors are based in Singapore. So your communication will not have any breakdown, but we are able to give you a competitive rate and also the understanding of a mature company. Yeah. So it's a good mix in a sense. Yeah. And also you're providing opportunity to a lot of young, talented people in your home country, right? Precisely, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's... I'm I'm curious to know what Mm -hmm. your dad has to say. (laughs) (laughs) Because you've completely, from that proposal of a three-year study plan to every dollar spent, moving on to actually, you know, becoming an entrepreneur... In design, which is what you studied, yeah. um, your dad must be super proud. Yeah, he, he said that a lot of times. And, and um, he always said that, you're like me. You know, we have entrepreneur's mindset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Take credit, dad. Uh, it's okay. So. But it's true. I mean, in a way, I've always seen him as someone that is super hands-on very fair to all of his worker, to, to anyone, basically. And he always gives reason why so. And we always make fun of him when whenever we buy our favorite food. Next to the favorite food of ours, there's this small, small stall. I would say a very roadside food. Uh, maybe their life, obviously, not so good. The food is not great at all. Maybe that's why they don't grow. Yeah. So, but but every time I don't always buy from this um, stall, I'm like, why do you keep on buying this spring roll? It tastes so bad. And his his reason is always always one: what goes around comes around. You help people, they'll help you back. You see, look at them, the father and the daughter, frying this spring roll from morning to night. 
Nice or not, I will buy every time I walk past. But seriously, until today, he always do that. Wow. But he never buy. He never really eat. Not none of us eat the spring roll. He just buy buys it. Buys it. He just buys it, and he doesn't want to give the money because it's disrespectful. Yeah. So he yeah. buys it. You know, so this always stuck in my mind in a sense like what goes around comes around. Yeah. That, that comes from him, yeah. really. And obviously, like fair practices in the office, um, all of his staff, his his team is respect him like a friend and also as a boss. So that is the thing that uh, a bit dif- difficult in my opinion to reach to that standard, but. That's it's I, I obviously all the it's time. also years and years of experience, right? Yeah. For him, yeah. And uh, for you, it's a learning. But I'm sure your the spirit that you have is something that will take you really far. I'm pretty certain of that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's still a long way to go. I felt that I'm just. I hope this is not my halfway. I hope this is still my quarter way. Yeah. <laughs> because I always believe dream higher. Uh, seriously, I think my dream is beyond my capabilities, but I still put it there anyway, and I just try my best. And when I look back to where I was, oh, actually, I've I have ticked several things in my box, you know, in my career to do list, you know. But um, I think I still have a lot more list that I want to accomplish, and I want to see five years later where where will I be, you know. That's always my. Yeah, I always try so to you push. set five-year goals, is it? Yeah, I hope in five years I've arrived to that stage that I will be able to automate a lot of the businesses that I am trying to plant right now. Wow, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> How old is your son? He is nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely adorable. The easiest son that anyone can ask for. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. And given, you know, the the amount of headspace that you probably need towards your business, you know, if he's easygoing and adorable, like yeah, you said. Super. Yeah, that's that's so special. He was very special. He... When I was, of course, in the earlier stage, my weekends are always burned. Like, you don't look at me now that I have my weekends. Yeah. The yeah. first five years, I don't have weekends at all. Five years. It was very, very tough because the team is small. Our execution projects are extremely huge. That And, and I just want everything to be perfect. I want every client to be happy. Obviously, you cannot please everyone. Yeah. There will be, at any event, something yeah. will go wrong somewhere. Yeah. But I yeah. want to minimize that as much as much as possible. So every Saturday, Sunday, back then I still have the nanny because he was still young and I'm too busy. I always bring my nanny and my son to the office until about 1 to 3 p.m. I put certain things in the office that he can play around with. Right, right. So keep him, study keep and all him engaged and at the same time with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for five years. Wow. Solid five years. And I, after that, I, I, I really try my best to reduce. But by then, he's already primary one, needed a lot more attention. So luckily, I managed to keep up with my work and reduce certain things and make the right decisions at that point of time. It was hard. To actually reduce my Singapore team and then more to Indonesian team, I think that was the best decision ever. Then I can balance out yeah, uh, some yeah. of my time and a bit more picky on certain clients that come on board. 
yeah, and maximize the revenue and the profit, of course, with the client that we know they will be happy to work with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, awesome! <laughs> I hope it will it will keep continue growing to the stage that I wanted to in Pakistan. <laughs> I'm sure it will with your spirit, like I said, Thank and you. this you know this whole very positive attitude that you have you're going places for sure thank you so much karina i really you. really enjoyed this chat thank you so much karina is very very dynamic and clearly from a super young age she has developed the art of being an entrepreneur i think it comes naturally to her Every new idea becomes an opportunity for her to explore. I love that spirit. It's been so inspiring indeed to listen to Karina. Keep getting inspired by personal journeys of some amazing guests on this very unique series Melting Pot with me, Pile. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 